we use each other. You know, I think that's another part is the resources. The people within our organization are the primary resources to, to dig into, to learn how to continue to grow each other. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. During this episode, I get the pleasure of interviewing Larry Day, manager of the Arizona League Indians, Red, for the Cleveland Indians. On the show, Larry shares a wealth of information regarding how he goes about balancing the development of players with winning. We also discuss how he establishes the team culture with players who are from all over the world. And Larry also provides us with some great advice that he has taken from some of his mentors, including Coach Tim Corbin from Vanderbilt University. You're gonna love this episode. And here is Larry Day. Larry, welcome to the show. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. I We actually got the chance to meet whenever I was doing a uh, tour of some of the AZL teams, and you were gracious enough to let me hang out and, and watch some of the different things that you guys are doing for player development. So I've, I've got a really good question list because I got to do that, and I'm really excited about that. But for our listeners who don't know you as well as I do or haven't gotten to conversate about where you and how you got into coaching, could you give us a little bit of a background on why you decided to get into the game of baseball? Absolutely. I think when it comes to coaching, I think a lot of it is because I've been inspired by so many great coaches. I'd have to think back and it would take some time to be able to to list the amount of people that have had various coaching and instructor roles in my life that have that have positively impacted me and inspired me to to get into the profession of coaching. Pat Yanchis, St. John's Prep, he was my high school coach. Jim Tenders, he's outstanding. Certainly a mentor of mine. He's the head baseball coach at the University of Connecticut. Kelly Nicholson, an amazing field manager with the Orleans Firebirds up on the Cape Cod League. Had the chance to play for him as a player and then come back around and, and coach with him. Actually, with Coach Nick, that was my first coaching role ever directly from the minor leagues, helping okay. him uh, in the summer. So being inspired by those men and by those coaches certainly drove me to, to get into coaching, along with obviously having a passion for the game and a passion for improvement, the combination of just loving baseball and, and love teaching and trying to improve others through teaching, especially those that have tremendous God-given ability when it comes to just baseball skill. I think that that combination, you know, the the inspiration from others that have been lucky to be around and the passion for the game and the passion for helping others improve through teaching would be certainly why I got into coaching. Oh, definitely. And shout out to Kai, who put us in touch whenever whenever I came out there and and he was showing me around and he said, dude, you've got to get Larry on the show. He's unbelievable and he's been influenced by a ton of unbelievable guys. And 
So let's go back to your Vanderbilt days, and I, I think that there's probably no better mentor than Tim Corbin. So what really? So whenever you're looking at them, they've seemed to have sustained excellence for a long period of time, and I'm sure he's a big reason why. But we can we can all see it from the outside in. But you got a firsthand look, and the Indians have a similar model. But at the same time, you know what did what did Tim do well? What does he do well on a daily basis? And you know what sets him apart from other programs? Sure. I mean, and that's what we're doing here is we're setting him apart. That's exactly why I didn't even list him um, in my previous list of coaches because Coach Corbin has his own kind of place for me when it comes to mentorship. Mm -hmm. And I knew that we're going to have a chance to talk about him to be able to limit talking about Coach Corbin and Vanderbilt baseball to to just five or ten minutes is nearly impossible. (laughs) But I'm going to do my best. You're right when you say that Vanderbilt baseball and its model is something that can be paralleled with with what we're trying to build and continuing to put forth our effort to build with the Indians. And there's several ties between Vanderbilt baseball and the Cleveland Indians organization without digging too deep into names, but coach Corbin has been a part of been a part of all those connections. He certainly is elite when it comes to coaching and teaching. And that's what he truly is, is he's a teacher. And that's certainly where I was lucky enough to to spend five years of my early coaching career. It was the very first college job that I had. I mentioned Kelly Nicholson on the Cape. Kelly introduced me to Coach Corbin that same summer as I was looking for how to initiate my career. What do I do? And Coach Corbin gave me an opportunity that I am forever grateful for. He is unique in the sense of not just his player development tact, which is outstanding, but I think the foundation of his player development tact would be that the development of people in general, the ability to, to teach ethics, to teach personal development, to teach just how to grow in his instance, young men from boys out of high school with tremendous baseball skill into men, you know, through his, his personal development, people development type traits and laying the foundation of the player development part of things with the personal development is I think something that makes coach Corbin and his program extremely special. The amount of great people that I had the opportunity to be around while at Vanderbilt, starting with Derek Johnson, now the pitching coach with the Reds, mm-hmm. Eric Backage, head coach of Michigan, Josh Holliday, Oklahoma State, Travis Jewett, head coach of Tulane, and obviously the current staff there, which is awesome, and Scott Brown, Mike Baxter, and Dave Macias. If I weren't to take awesome things from that group of people, then that's completely my fault. You know, I'm lucky as heck to be around those people and especially starting with Coach Corbin. Mm-hmm. No, I, I love that. And I love that, you know, he's a teacher at heart. And I think that, that really good coaches are. I mean, you, you think back to some of the greatest coaches in history and it's like Vince Lombardi started as a high school teacher and so did John Wooden. And the guys that that do that really well or are well-spoken, they're well thought out. And especially with coach Corbin, I mean, he's, he's talked multiple times about putting the player first at different clinics. And, you know, we look at that sometimes and go, man, if that's important to one of the best programs in one of the best stretches in the history of college baseball, then that's something that we need to listen to. And I actually, so a, a couple, 
years ago, uh, we play in Florida. We were going on spring break, and we got the opportunity to watch a practice at Vanderbilt. I think this was probably five or six years ago, and it was literally the most efficient use of time that I've ever seen in my entire life. Like there was, everybody got like a thousand reps, and I I took video of everything that I possibly could, and it was so, so good. But I mean, is that another piece as to why he's so good, or at least the program is so good as well? It's just the the organization of everything? Absolutely. Yeah, everything that's executed within that program is 100% intentional. So planned, thought out, prepared, and like you said, that pre-planning shows itself during a practice. The organization, the efficiency, everything's intentional because of the time that, that goes into the planning of those workouts, the reasoning for the drills, and one thing that, along with the efficiency component of those workouts, would be the competitive notions that are within those workouts so when you have skilled players getting after it efficiently but they're also getting after it with a sense of competition then you're going to have you're going to have grounds to be able to run some pretty effective workouts that hopefully have quick transfer i mean that's obviously what we're all looking for Mm mm-hmm Oh, definitely. And whenever you've you've recruited so well like they have, and I'm sure there's a lot of internal competition within that. And there was two things that I really noticed before we get into some different stuff that you're doing. One was it started and ended in like on the dot for two hours. Like they were walking off the field on, on two hours. And I told my wife, I said, wow, that's, that's you know, we plan out things that last two hours and they ended up lasting, you know, two and a half or 2.15. And it was, I think, literally on the dot. And another thing that I noticed, and I, I don't know if, if this was during your time too but every round of bp they would go and like knuck up the other guy or fist bump the other guy before they walked into the cage and i'm sure that that's yep. intentional because every one of them but what's the reasoning behind that i'd love to hear it yeah yeah i know exactly what you're talking about that's connection that is those guys within a practice they are staying connected with each other physically which is what the touch is but more importantly they are there's a sense of connection amongst that whole team whether it's a practice, whether it's after a game at bat, during a game, pitchers, hitters, coaches, training staff, there is a sense of total connection amongst that team. And what you saw during that workout with the fist bump after each round of BP would be the outward physical sign of that connection. Oh, really, really cool. Well, let's go ahead and get into you know what, what you're doing currently and, and where you're at and really what the vision is for you, especially whenever we're starting the year. And for you, that's you know spring training. And so whenever you're looking at some of the different things that you guys are organizing together and you're looking at all of the things that you have to accomplish in spring training, what were some of the first steps that you took and, and what did that process look like for you? The process was awesome in the sense of the people that I had the opportunity to do it with, and that being the, the people within the Indians organization. When you work with people as high quality and so many different characteristics, it makes things easy because as far as the, little, the literal preparation of any program, whether it be spring training or a January off-season program or a November off-season program, it comes down to having the ability to pre-plan and pre-communicate, having proper communication, ample communication, detailed communication with, with everyone within the organization and the domain leaders, pitching, hitting, fielding, 
mental performance, strength and conditioning, medical, and being able to have conversations with the different plans for curriculums and that type of thing, you know, that's where, that's where the planning process starts with any type of program, in my opinion, having the ability to communicate with everyone sure. to see where everyone's at and, and what, whatever, what is everyone trying to get accomplished during this program. In this instance, we're talking about spring training. No, I love that. And, and you talk about communication. I mean, how many, <laughs> I mean, you guys have so many coaches that you have to communicate with and a ton of players as well. So I, I'm sure that has to be a vital piece besides or between uh, spring training fields because, I mean, once you get going, it's it's like I'm sure that it's like you guys aren't, aren't ever stopping. So you've got to be efficient. You've got to communicate well and all of the above. Yeah, yeah, certainly. There certainly are plenty of moving pieces, which is a beautiful thing. I mean, you have anywhere between – four to six fields with games on potentially four to six fields. You have morning workouts and you know how baseball workouts go. There's the defensive component. There's the throwing component. There's the, uh, all the programmatic components. Once you get lead up to the game Mm -hmm. that are, you know, those balancing those, those segments is, is a fantastic thing to be able to accomplish as a group. And like you said, because there are so many balls in the air, so to speak, during a program like a spring training, you just have to be planned out. You have to be pre-planned on the forefront, good staff meeting, good staff conversation on the forefront of, of the day, and then just go out there and, and execute it. Well, for sure, for sure. So whenever you, and, and the Indians seem like they do such a great job of being able to balance development in season with winning because you win and you continue to develop players that are ready at the big league level. So, I mean, just kind of take us through how that process looks like or what that process looks like and, and how you go about it. And I would love to just for you to share as much as you can, but that's that's always a really tough balance to kind of work between because you're wanting to develop your players. You're also wanting them to understand what it feels like and what it looks like and even what it smells like to win and to thirst for that on a daily basis. But, I mean, how, how does that process and what's that balance look like? It's always an interesting question talking about balancing development in the season with winning. And the funny part is, is it's always more interesting to talk about this topic with folks that are outside of our organization. And what I mean by that is that it just feels that within our organization, talking about player development and winning aren't like two separate entities. It's not like a thing in terms of we need to focus on player development Mm -hmm or we need to focus on winning or we need not to focus on winning or, or whatever. It just kind of organically blends together. I think, you know, it just, if the, if the betterment of the player is at the forefront of everyone's agendas, Mm -hmm. you know, and in all areas for that player, obviously the, the baseball skill, the physical development, the mental development, the emotional development, the life skills development, if the improvement of that player and everyone's pouring all resources and energies into improving each player and winning, which is a part of success, it's just going to be a byproduct, I think. I think that when you're scouting and drafting quality people and your international 
scouting departments are signing quality people mm-hmm. and your international scouts and your amateur scouts in the States are quality people. And then they get into the development system and, you know, we kind of cross integrate between scouting into player development. There's really no lanes there, whatever it takes to be able to, to set the best foundation for the player. Mm-hmm. You know, and then your player development people have such quality people. Your baseball ops people have such quality people. Now it's just trying to develop as a unit. So the whole player development system there with players in mind, staff in mind, everyone's trying to get better. When that type of culture is is set, then I think that success and then, you know, winning within that success would just be a byproduct. Love it. As you develop. Oh, that's wonderful. And, you know, I want to get into some different nuts and bolts of how that looks like or what that looks like on a daily basis. And I love that that you're taking the time to share that with us. And I love that it is you are able to merge both of those things because they are extremely important. But when we get into the season, what does a typical day look like for you guys? And I mean, how how much time do you spend on what? And just kind of take us through what a, a typical training session would look like. Sure. And, and I'll certainly, I'll take you through the whole thing. I think that we as coaches, the, the training session is one thing to execute. How we get there is another thing. Awesome. Um, and I, I think it's interesting to learn different processes from, from coaches of all sports to see how workouts are created and then executed. So just literally, I'll just take you through a day, I guess. Awesome. Um, yeah, please do. So the day starts with just kind of an overview of that day's workout. So that day's workout was probably created the day before, definitely created the night before at least. So you just kind of check anything that there is, equipment needs, field needs, is there weather, are we good? What that looks like is just the staff meeting, you know, and and every day within that staff meeting, you talk about players, you talk about thoughts for tomorrow. What, what do we want tomorrow to look like from a practice standpoint? And, and you talk about any type of touch-ups that need to be talked about for that day's workout. So at that point in the morning, you're set for that day's workout, and then you're, you're already getting the gears going amongst your staff and yourself for the next day's workout. So leading up to the workout, you, you essentially, you know, you prime a couple of different players, whether it be yourself as a manager, yourself as a hitting coach, yourself as a pitching coach, you know, you'll have particular goals that you want to accomplish with one or two players per workout. And prior to the workout, I've found it to be effective to prime those players, have a, have a conversation with the players, whether it be in passing or whether it be in the office a little bit more formally. Okay to be able to kind of set the stage for particular things that you're trying to accomplish within that day's workout. Mm -hmm. So then you actually get to the workout and it takes place. And the, the, hopefully it's, it's intentional because of the conversations and preparation and planning that went into it and efficient. And once the guys get out there, they're, they're moving, you know, there's not a whole lot of dead time within the workout other than a couple different spots to hydrate especially in arizona you were out here you saw how hot it can get oh my gosh yes and then you execute the practice so now right here would you do you want me to get into the actual practice of course i'd love it so there there's a couple of things i think that you know to be 
to draw back to Coach Corbin and everything I learned from him, the efficiency of it matters. And, and it matters both from a, a physical practicality standpoint and from obviously a, a time management standpoint. Once the guys get activated physically for the betterment of them and for the protection of them from a health standpoint, it's, be, you know, it's best to keep them going and for their practice to flow from their activation into the batting cage, you know, which is where as a position player, they have a chance to be able to slow things down, work on their individual mechanics, work on, you know, the things that they've been working on with the hitting coach and, and with, in my instance, lucky enough to be around Jordan Becker and JT McGuire. Those guys are tremendous in the cage with the guys. Definitely. But that's, that's essentially where the position players head right away to, to be able to get their individual swing work done as they roll out onto the field to then get into the, to the defensive component. But without getting too specific, I just think the flow of the workout matters in terms of physical health, like I talked about, and, and time efficiency. No, definitely. Uh, and I hope that you're okay that I'm sharing this part. But when walking through the facility, you've got this huge TV screen and you've got two different teams with two different practice plans. And it was it was like four hours worth of stuff and just completely curtailed to what each team's doing, what field that they're on. And for me, being a guy that loves efficiency and loves to make practice plans, I was looking at that and I went, wow, that's unbelievable. But I'm sure that takes just a ton of time on the front end to be able to make it that efficient. Yeah. I mean, like with, like with anyone, I mean, everyone's spending time on what they're doing to, to try and make it as good as possible. Conditioning coaches, hitting coaches, diving in on video to make sure that they're, you know, that the hitters that they're working with are, are getting everything that they need. Pitching coaches, Joel Mangrum was my pitching coach this past season. You know, the amount of time that everyone puts into their role is obvious and I'm sure that's something that you saw from the coaches too but yeah when it comes to the construction of the of the team workout and and the oversight of both teams workout it certainly does take some time but you'd put that time in eight out of seven day eight days out of a seven day week to be able to run a clean productive Mm -hmm. workout right as you know right 100 percent and I the last thing that we want our players to do is to be confused or our coaches confused on what what the objective is what we're trying to accomplish what the objective is for the day or the drill or the set that we're doing and I think that's extremely important and I mean that's I I love that and you know I I also want to get into some stuff where you're talking about culture building and you've got guys from all across the world that are young speaking all kinds of different languages from different colleges to different countries. And so how do you go about transitioning them into, one, being young men, but two, being major league ready or on the path to be able to do that? So as far as culture building goes, I mean, what are some different just things that you do for that? What are some tips that you have for people wanting to do something similar? Yeah, from a culture building standpoint, it's funny, you know, again, alluding to my experience at Vanderbilt with Coach Corbin, in terms of bringing in, in bringing in players of all ethnicities, speaking multiple languages from all parts of the country, that's what that was at Vanderbilt, and and that's a part of what's prepared me to take on this opportunity with the Indians right now is embracing the diversity, embracing the age group that you saw when you came to Arizona, the entry level player the first or second year Latin player, 
So just as a staff member embracing what an awesome opportunity it is to be a small piece of the puzzle, but the initial piece of the puzzle, one of the first touches of some of these entry-level players. You know, it's just a, it's an opportunity that is cherishable, you know, just on the staff side of things. Definitely, it's huge. And I think that just that overall notion, if you can spread that notion amongst your staff, that starts some culture building things in itself. As far as culture building within my team, our team this past summer, Arizona Indians Blue, I think one of the main things would be the classroom setting. Okay. The notebooks, the note taking. We have been blessed with a awesome facility in Goodyear that we train out of as the Indians. And it has a classroom. It's got multiple classrooms in there. It has any, at any given time, you could have four separate classroom sessions going on, you know, within the facility. So having the ability to sit the guys down in the classroom and teach the game and then go out on the field and work the game. Mm -hmm. I think that that's very, very special. Talk about efficiency. I think that it leads to efficiency when it comes to learning. Sure the ability to put those players in a learning setting in the classrooms with a notebook, taking notes and making that environment feel as segment. And we do those meetings after every game. Also we'll get into the, you know, and and sometimes that's tough depending on how the game went. There could be some emotions riding within that classroom after the game, or it could be excited or happy, you Mm -hmm. know, depending on how the game went. Sure. But your ability, our ability as a staff to culturally set the learning environment, the, the safe, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to lose games, we're going to win games, we're going to make great plays. But whatever it is, we're going to talk about it and we're going to learn from it. And the ability to set that environment, I think, helped our culture under, you know, as we all learn and improve at everything that we do. No, that's that's definitely awesome to hear that, you know, you're still learning every day, the players are still learning every day, and, you know, I, I've been really digging into some good leadership, just resources lately, and one of the things that I, you know, I, I heard lately that has, has really stood out to me is the old model was that you hired good people and let them work, and I think that that still applies in a lot of cases, but today's generation and the people that are getting hired now, they want to be developed and they want to continue to get better. And I think that that's huge. And I know that if if I was to leave my job for another job or organization or, or whatever, I would want to have help with transitioning one. And then the question I would ask is, is how will you help me develop into what you want me to become? And, and so I'd love to hear what are some of the different things that you help with? Maybe it's just, you know, the new coaches that are coming in, but also how are you continuing to help grow the coaches that you're around every day? I think that that's interesting because I use the resources that help me, you know, so the resources that continue to help me develop that the Indians provide are the same tactical versions of how I try and help others. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have a, a learning and development component of our organization that solely targets on the continued development of staff. So to be able to tap into the resources that within our organization, Jay Hennessy and Josh Gibson lead is helps all of us coaches and staff members help each other. So we, we use each other. You know, I think that's another 
part is the resources. The people within our organization are the primary resources to, to dig into, to learn how to continue to grow each other. And I think that it's important, you know, mm-hmm. the, the development of players and coaches and kids and girlfriends and wives and everyone, That's you know, awesome. it, it starts with relationships, you know, to be able to formulate relationships, personal relationships with your players, personal relationships with the people around you, the staff members around you. Mm-hmm. It lays the foundation and the groundwork to then be able to help each other develop and, mm-hmm. and to, you know, to, to understand that as much as we want to help others develop, you know, potential folks in leadership roles, mm-hmm. as the more receptive we can be to others helping us, we're all going to get better from that. Mm-hmm. And everyone can sense that. Folks can sense when, when you're there just trying to be, you know, a Johnny teacher guy. Mm-hmm. But if you're there, if it's a genuine, you know, two-way avenue of personal development, then I think that you're going to develop faster and that'll be more efficient again efficiency sure sure and it sounds like you guys collaborate a ton absolutely yeah and that's certainly what i was alluding to when i mentioned that we tap into our people which are our best resources Mm -hmm. and and i also alluded to it when talking about preparing for a program like spring training Mm -hmm. the communication between each other the communication cross domains you know is the key you know the ability to bounce ideas and mold ideas or change ideas, throw away ideas, implement ideas by running them by your partners, which is essentially what we are. You know, we're coworkers, but Mm -hmm. we're partners in terms of planning things out to be able to get these kids as good, as fast as we can. But collaboration is, is certainly key to that. No, and you've talked uh, you know, a lot about culture building too, and I think that I remember hearing that Daniel Coyle, or at least he's mentioned it a couple times, that he works with you guys too. And for our listeners who that name sounds familiar, I mean, Culture Code, he wrote that a couple of uh, maybe a year or two ago, but that's a, that's a wonderful read. And I mean, are you guys still using his services? Yeah, yeah. Dan's our partner. For mm-hmm. sure. Just like any, any staff member, Dan, he comes to many of our programs. Mm-hmm. He partners He partners with our coaches. He partners with our players. We are very lucky to have, to have Dan Coyle around our players and our staff as much as he is. No, he's, he's wonderful, and I, I definitely recommend for our listeners who haven't read The Culture Code yet to make sure they go pick that up because it's really, really good. And So you talked about relationships. That is especially when players are coming from different parts of the country. That's something that is not easily navigated and it's not easily, you know, they're, they're in a different country or they're from different parts of our country. And so what are some, what are some different things that you do uh, just to make sure that they know you're there for them, that they trust you and you trust them. And, and just how do you build that relationship uh, with so many kids essentially from so many different backgrounds? Yeah. There in, again, we are totally blessed to be around that diversity within our organization and within mm-hmm. all of professional baseball, baseball in general, it's a very diverse sport. Right. I've said this, my dad's asked me that before too. And, you know, and he always encourages me to take more formal Spanish classes to be able to learn the language, which I do. And that does help, you know, the ability to connect through the language certainly helps. But the thing that like I answered my father the other night is that, 
The smile is international. The, the ability to non-verbally connect and to, and to have a sense of, of where your players are at from an emotional, mental standpoint, you can mm-hmm. see the physical. Sure. You can see the physical, but to, to try and to tap into them, like I said, to build relationships so they know that you care. Because mm-hmm. we all know that in coaching, we all know that's, that slogan that goes, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. So establishing relationships, again, we're talking about players, but it's with anyone, right? You know, that's the, that's the initial step to, to trying to be able to develop these guys. You know, if, if they don't know that you're in with them and, and, and that you care about them as people, it's going to be tough to, to, to get them to think that you care about them as players. So I've got a couple questions for you that are really about, you know, you've taken us through, man, you've given us so much content today that's unbelievable that you're that you're sharing so much. You can definitely tell that the relationship piece is a huge deal for you, but you've also hit on the culture of development and developing yourself first. So I want to know what are some of the latest things that you've learned that you're really excited about? Yeah. And the things that I've learned, you know, they have been through people, you know, the, the people that I get to work with, which I consider my primary and best resources, but specifically I've been, I've been kind of turned on to learning about some of the underlying metrics in, in the pitching department. Okay. Yeah. Traditionally, you know, as a more of an offensive minded coach, I've really learned a lot from Joel Mangrum, who is our pitching coach in terms of some of the underlying metrics and measurements and, and things like that, ask a couple of different questions during our staff meetings about, you know, what's that measurement, you know, what's the vertical movement versus the horizontal movement, what creates vertical movement or ride or, or what creates a different pitch profile between a slider and a curveball. We have the ability to, to measure what the ball's doing you know, once it releases from the pitcher's hand and Joel's taught me a lot about some of, you know, what the ball is doing, how it's measured, rap Soto, track man, the differences. So I think that because it's different, like I said, traditionally I'm more of an offensive coach, mm-hmm. but because it's different and because it, you know, it was explained well to me that that's been exciting to kind of dig into during our staff meetings this season. Sure. Sure. And I, you know, we talked about, building relationships with players and especially it's hard with when they speak a little bit of English but you know something that that's a little off script but I think that it could be helpful for those listening how do we relay some of those intricate details especially with data to players who may not have a complete understanding of one what it is but two may not speak English as their first language and may have may struggle with that a little bit what's what's your thought process behind that Yes. So my thought process would be is if, if there's a data point or a topic that has data to it that relates to, you know, that player, if we as a staff, if we just can't get him to understand what that data represents, I don't think we should go there. Now, I do think we should strive to try and teach the players and continue to try and get the players there to where they can understand different data points or different metrics that, Mm -hmm. you know, end up helping them. But if they don't get it, I don't think we should go there yet until the player does understand what he's looking at from a data standpoint. I think it's important for us as coaches 
to keep in mind that the data are just the data is it's a measurement. It's mm-hmm. a, it's an evaluation. It's an, you know, it's an evaluation on paper. It's a measurement of, you know, what the ball's doing once it leaves the bat, what's mm-hmm. the bat doing once it gets to the ball, what's the ball doing once it leaves a pitcher's hand, which is great. It gives us a starting point, but for, for us to be able to, to communicate with the players in terms of what is his body doing or how can I help his body do something differently to be able to positively affect the bat or the ball, mm-hmm. you know? So, so then, so then from there, now the data point is positively affected in itself because the body was moving more efficiently. Right. So to just be able to show the evaluation or data points, to players, you know, a, if they understand it, great. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the primary, it's a starting point for either a encouragement or B making a change. Mm-hmm. If they don't understand what the measurement is, I don't think we should go there. And as we use the data with players, I think it's important to to always relate the data, the evaluation, the statistic back to the player in terms of what is his body doing or not doing that uh, that creates that metric. Sure. And I mean, regardless of what language the player speaks, I think that that's a ton of great information for coaches as well. It's it's not necessary. I thought you hit on several good points on that as, as far as interpreting what the data means, not just telling them to get a certain number. And and I, I think that that's, that's where your money's made. But let's go ahead and talk about something that you guys do either in training or practice that your players love. And this is something that is hopefully practical for our listeners and, and this something that we can steal from you. But what's something that you guys do in training that your players absolutely love, whether that be a competition or a certain drill set or just kind of roll with it from there? I think that one thing that the players love is having an advance notice on what the next day's workout is. So when me and the coaches create the next day's workout the night before, we actually email it off to the players the night before so that they're totally prepared for what the next day is going to look like. I also think that players enjoy, and I, I have to confide in, in some of, in Jordan Becker, actually, he's the hitting coach on our team, mm-hmm. because I think this is an interesting one in terms of understanding what the players love his perspective, which was much more powerful than me, just trying to guess what they love. They enjoy the daily meetings. So our kids hit the classroom at least twice a day. If you're a pitcher or a position player, you'll be in the classroom for five to 15 minutes looking at the opposing pitcher. And obviously, like I talked about, we're going to hit the classroom on the back end of the game, talk about the game. And they enjoy that. From a preparation standpoint, they enjoy the scouting element. You know, I think that it's important to remember that, you know, once there's the practice, we have our workouts and our training during the day, and then we have the game, you know, every night. We rarely have a day where we only have practice not followed by a game. You know, these mm-hmm. these minor league games are essentially another heightened competitive practice segment for a minor league player as they practice for the major leagues. But yeah, getting back to the original question of of what they really like, I think, like I said, I think they like being prepared, knowing what's going on, the consistency of the workouts, they can trust the flow, and they certainly like getting in the classroom a couple times a day. 
Oh, it's unbelievable. I, I love that, and I love that aspect. And you're building the whole player, not just the baseball player on the field. So uh, another question that I've recently started asking, and it's something that, you know, we all have biases and we all have things that may or may not go against traditional thinking or data. And so is, is there anything that you can think of that you believe that other coaches may disagree with you about? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I had a chance to, to learn this firsthand as I was the coaches I had the opportunity to work with this season, JT McGuire, Jordan Becker, Joel Mangrum. So JT and Jordan, um, this was their first year in the organization. This was our first year working together, the three of us. And certain game situations came up early in the year to where they both had a feel on, on a game situation that kind of contradicted my feel for the situation. And that was a, it was a no double situation. So I typically won't just book the no double situation. I take into the account of the pitcher, the hitter, uh, sometimes maybe the speed of the outfielder, not really, but more than anything, once we get past the score, because obviously if we're even talking about it, the score is telling me to throw the outfielders in no du- no doubles depth mm-hmm. or put the infielders on the line for no doubles. But I don't think that it's automatic in all situations, depending on the hitter and the pitcher first foremost. So we got to talk through that a little bit. And I realized that I was a little bit, you know, at least in their perspective, different that way. Same holds true for the contact play. We had different thoughts on in terms of how the contact play traditionally would be ran. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we collaborated as an organization with all of our great base running minds and were able to come up with, you know, essentially the most of the best way that that contact play is ran. But, you know, like I'm talking about there situationally, when it comes to our game situations, rather, when it comes to practice, I don't know. As far as things that may be seen as totally different, I think that the cage hitting element is a very large part of offensive players' personal development as hitters. Mm-hmm. If if I had the choice, if I could only pick one, whether it be to hit on a field or to hit in the cage, I would pick hitting in the cage 10 out of 10 times, even when it comes to cage hitting as it relates to on-field hitting. Sure. I don't think it's great to have on-field hitting without maybe some swings in the cage prior to, so that that time is on the field on the, that time with the on-field hitting is used in the most efficient way. Right. You know, for him to have the ability to to knock the dust off a little bit at least in the cage prior to getting to the field, I think that works. Mm-hmm. I think that there would be some room for coaches to think that we that I like implement like i talked about we do the 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 players hit the classroom Mm -hmm. at least twice in a in a day that may be a bit much in a lot of folks minds and it may be a bit much you know depending on your team and depending on on the age of your team or the personalities of your team but i can certainly see how how having that many classroom gatherings could be seen as being a bit much and that's okay but as far as anything else, I think that may be – the other thing about practice, I guess, is I don't think the pitchers have to shag every single day mm-hmm. when it comes to it comes to batting practice. I think that to come up with some type of groupings or rotations to where 
those guys aren't out there every single day. I think that that works well, but I know that when I'm talking about pitchers shagging, now I'm digging a little bit deep Sure. when it comes to, you know, things that folks could disagree. No, it was really good and well thought out. And I, I'm glad that I'm not, well, I may be in the minority of liking to hit in the cage more than on the field, but I'm glad that I'm not alone in that. So that's awesome. Yeah. You know, finally, what, are some of your, your favorite books and resources? You've mentioned a, a ton of different coaches that have influenced you, but are, are there any things that we could physically go and grab and pick up that have influenced your coach's career? Well, you mentioned Dan Coyle's work. Mm-hmm. I mean, his stuff is outstanding. Our whole organization, you know, is well-versed in his stuff. And obviously in him as a person, we're lucky in that regard to have him as a resource. But certainly his work is, is very influential. There's a book out there that we use with our players called Legacy about the, the All Blacks mm-hmm. in rugby. That is, a, that is a great book to kind of use as a teaching element with players. And obviously, it's, it's pretty good for personal development when it That's comes great. to leader, leadership and those types of things. And then I hope I haven't been over the top with how I've just mentioned that the people that I'm around are my most valuable resources I am around. I have been lucky to be around so many awesome people within this organization here in Arizona at the complex. And then obviously at the affiliates spread out all, all over the country in Cleveland, the resources that I've been surrounded with from a people standpoint is off the charts. Mm -hmm. And I'd have to say that they're my best resources Oh, definitely. They were some of my best resources until they stopped posting on Twitter and all of the cool things that they were doing. So I could definitely <laughs> I could definitely relate to that a little bit. But Larry, I, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing so much of what you guys are doing because it truly was a pleasure of mine to get to come see it in person. And you've shared so much of, of what you guys are doing on a daily basis today. But if there's anybody who'd like to get in touch with you and ask you any questions, is, is there a good place online to be able to do so? The best place online, actually, for me is just straight email. My email is ldayday at indians.com. If I can help anyone out however I can, I'd love to. Awesome. Well, I'm just going to open up the mic for you and ask, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? I'd just like to express my gratitude and appreciation, John, to you for having me on your show. I've listened to numerous podcasts off of your program and what you're doing for for baseball and the shared awareness of all elements within baseball is outstanding so very appreciative and and thanks for the opportunity thank you for listening to ahead of the curve you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform which could include apple podcasts google spotify stitcher or youtube And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.